0: Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press and New St. Andrews College. Today you will hear a recent alumni talk from N.D. Wilson called Greasy Moments. If you or someone you know is looking for a college sooner or later, send them to nsa.edu fall 2021. Perfect. Okay, I'm gonna to talk to you about Greasy Moments. Uh, Because that sounded kind of unappetizing. Uh, Greasy moments in that time is slip, slip, slipping away, as Steve Miller says. Uh, And you all are living your life now, and you're making decisions now, and choosing what to focus on, emphasize, uh, invest in. Invest in your greasy moments. Uh, Where do you place them? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? And we all live in the 20s now. And the 20s are a disaster. So, And it's not just 2020, which a lot of people wanted to put it on just that year. It's just going to be that year. The bad news is it's going to be the whole decade, at least. Uh, It's going to be insane. 2021 kicked off with a little extra drama than 2020 even brought. So we had a a disease. And then we have the panic around a disease. And then we have an insurrection. That was a good word. In the first week we had an insurrection, Uh, and then all the backlash around that insurrection, Uh, a challenged election, a conservative Supreme Court, but with a House and Senate and White House that is highly motivated to try to make that not matter at all. We are all alumni of a strange little institution in Idaho that has always taken uh, an interesting stand around government money and, and the strings attached. So it will be a little different here, but a lot of people are gonna be dealing with a lot of consequences. There will be some harvesting of the whirlwind that's gonna happen. You know, the, the wind has been sown and the whirlwind is being reaped now. And we are gonna deal with a, our own version of it, like in our corner of things are happening where the border starts to matter a lot. The state line is, like, matters a great deal. Local government suddenly matters a great deal. I've never cared who was the governor of Idaho before, ever. It has never crossed my mind to even care who the governor of Idaho was, because there's simply momentum of Idaho is Idaho. Like It just behaves in a certain way, and that's, that's it. That's no longer the case. Uh, I've, not, I've been really grateful for our mayor for many, many years. And that's not gonna change. So I was very grateful when he became mayor. I was very grateful for the ways in which he affected the town. And now I am not. So it's like the the what have you done for me lately thing happens and he and I have met and it's friendly. Uh, It's totally cordial but at the same time I think what he wants to do is gonna destroy the town and he thinks what I want him to do would destroy the town and suddenly there's an existential divide. It's like whether survive or die uh, is on the table. The Chamber of Commerce sends out that little uh, funeral notice about local business. And the numbers are kind of staggering when they, when you, when you look at the numbers of restaurants that are going to be closing and businesses closing and churches that are going to be closing, all the things, just the, the graveyard of the, just the kickoff of this decade. It's like how this decade is, is launching. Uh, you know, we've already, I don't know if you knew this, we already bombed Syria which is a good start to this year. So we're right back into uh, bombing brown people real quick, because that's what Trump was going to do, was, was kill lots of, uh, lots of foreigners. But Biden got right down to it. Uh, foreign wars, empire building, China, 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 China. Uh, is, it's all going to be very, very wild. And yet you're here with very, very mundane choices. Like what to do with your day? What to do with your week? What to do with your month? What do I do with the rest of the year? What are my goals for the second quarter? Like what am I gonna try to accomplish by June? I have had the strange sensation, rightly or wrongly, that we all have 18 to 24 months-ish before this particular game of musical chairs stops. And what we have, the position we'll be in, the angle we'll have uh, will be the place from which we play the game for the next decade or more. So right now, there's a ticking clock on the wall, and none of us know how much time is on it before the new normal is shattered again. Uh, it's, It's like, I believe, being at the beach between waves, where one wave has crashed, we have a pandemic, we have this disruption around the election, we have all that chaos, change of rule, uh, and then there's this calm, where everybody stands around and says, oh, it's not that bad. Like, we can all renormalize. And then there will be another wave. It's like, it is, I don't, like, like they want the, the coronavirus waves to happen. I think the cultural waves are, in fact, happening and will continue to happen. When the midterms come around, either the elections will be trusted or they will not be. And if they are not, at the outset, it's going to be very, very interesting. Oh, just to understate it. Uh, So the fact that the difference between Washington and Idaho is more stark than ever, that Logos School will no longer compete in track against Washington high schools, because the laws are fundamentally different in the two states now. It's like there are distinctions now that start to matter a lot. And Idaho schools are going to be competing more with just Idaho. The dwarves are for the dwarves. is kind of like the, the way it goes. But that will only last so long. So we all know we're living in interesting times. The question is, how interesting? How crazy will it get? And you all go to, or you went to, a school that has focused on the past a lot. Uh, that's great. It is, and it's, I, well, let's just say, I would far prefer to know a great deal about the past than to know a great deal about the present. Uh, that will inform my assessment of the present as I experience it, and it will give me predictive ability, but will also give me perspective. So if you imagine living in 1917, you would know that it was far more dramatic and much much worse than what we're looking at right now. And 1941, also the case. In 1861 and 1775 and so on back. And in 1812, Right after that whole little kerfuffle uh, the war for independence, that England actually burned the White House It's like this interesting things have happened before and they will continue to happen and there are these lulls that occur between the big waves And then it goes crazy and when it goes crazy There are always people around who don't want it to go that crazy or they think it's a little absurd but it won't be that absurd You're like this is folly to stand up against Hitler now, because surely he doesn't want a second great war. That would be irrational. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yes, it would be. And yet you have the people who are placating, the people who are compromising, the people who are selling out. And they're not selling out necessarily because they're cowards. They're selling out because they are thinking with their imaginations. They're focusing on the moment from their uh, place of wishfulness, shall we say. They don't wish for another major war. Um, I think it would be healthy for all of you to write down your predictions for 18 months from now into a little time capsule and just stick it in the ground. Go back 18 months prior to this moment and predict all the things that just happened. Try to to predict those things and think, Okay, so sitting there, I can say, this is how this is going to go down. The next 18 months are going to look like this. And there's nobody who's pretending like they predicted this. There's nobody around who's even, uh, even making believe uh, that, they, that they knew this was all going to happen. And I think that 18 months out, 24 months out, this will look normal compared to what we're looking at then. So I think we're in a storm. It's going to be cascading. The waves are growing. This wasn't the peak. It didn't just peak, and now it's going to go calm. Uh, It's going to continue to build, and it's going to be very, very interesting. It's going to continue to be. So if you think about studying the past, the liberal arts, the humanities, some sense of history, the whole point of doing that, uh, in addition to learning the narrative, learning the story that God has told, is to learn from it. And actually learn from it in your own lives. So the ability to see the present in the light of the past is extremely important helpful. It isn't, it's a form of wisdom. You can see the behavior of man back in the 40s and the behavior of man in the teens, the last time we had the 20s. It's like you have read these different things. You have studied these different time periods. And you understand humanity. And you don't get this disproportionate panic over this current moment because you actually have a sense that it has been worse. And it has been a lot worse for a lot of other people. And it's been a lot worse for a lot of other people a lot of times. So around the fall of Rome, uh, you know, the whole motivation for Augustine writing The City of God, like the panic that came to the church and to believers at the time when Rome fell, that was a much more dramatic thing. Uh, to be alive during the Civil War, uh, to be, a, like, to be uh, our own recent ancestors when we had to fight a war in two theaters, in Europe and Asia at the same time, which should not have worked and only by the grace of God did. Uh, a lot of people look at Pearl Harbor and think, man, what a moronic move. But you can think it's a moronic move only because it, in the end they still lost the war. It's, it's quite intelligent strategically to, to say that the US is going to be in the war and so let's divide them. You always want to divide your opposition. Let's, let's weaken their, you know, their impact in Europe by forcing them to fight in Asia at the same time. So. War in Asia, war in Europe, and still it only took four years to get through it. Total chaos, millions dead, the Holocaust, etc. It took a long time before people would even believe that that was happening because it was irrational. So seeing the present uh, in the light of the deep past and the more recent past. So going back to Augustine, going back to the Vikings when they were burning every monastery, going back to the Reformation, looking at the way that the powers of men and, uh, well, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman have always interacted. Like they've always interacted in times of upheaval and there's always been sparks and there's always been struggle. So seeing the present in the light of the past will enable you to not panic, to not freak out, to remain calm while you're making your decisions uh, and while you're deciding how to invest your moments. Like the moments that are just Rapidly going by, counting down both in your life and also in this window of time before the next big wave, whatever it is, whatever that may be. Whether it's a land war in Asia, whether it's uh, Cal exit, California leaving, uh, which will be, uh, I mean, the current government really wants DC to get statehood, to tip the Senate permanently. You know, that's the front of the agenda. Uh, those, those are big things and will cause red states. To seriously consider moving, whether it's going to be small things like Greater Idaho, where Idaho eats conservative Oregon, it uh, becomes a, a bigger thing, and I consider that one of the smaller options, or dramatic, like completely separate governance—you know, a true division of the U.S. Uh, sometime in the in the not too distant future, which would be very dramatic. Uh, whether it's that, whether it's war with China, uh, I don't know. You know, I've got no I've got no sense of how big it's gonna be other than it's going to be bigger than this. Like that it's ramping up. So seeing the present in the light of the past is a gift, the ability to do that, the ability to keep your heart rate down and to remain calm because you are not in the worst situation ever known to man. Just not the case. Even if you are having to wear a mask more than you want. Uh, we like to think about seeing the future as this enormous uh, you know, sci-fi fantasy concept, the ability to see the future. Uh, oh, that'd be amazing if we could see the future. Well, you can if you can really locate yourself in the past. You can see the present like you're seeing the future. And you can try to read it a little more clearly, a little more objectively. But the real benefit of being able to project your imagination into the future is the ability to see the present moment from the future. So it's not about seeing the future just so you can see it. It's about locating your perspective there so that you can look back at yourself right now and govern your behavior right now and make your choices and decisions now in the light of what you've seen. So trying to see the the present from the future is a much stronger position to be in. I've had plenty of conversations with people where they are balking at like, the price of land, for example. And I've had conversations with people balking about the price of land as long as I've been in Moscow <laughs> and a semi-adult. People have been talking about that. From when my parents bought three acres for $17,000, I think it was, uh, you know, to the present when people are looking at a big block of land on the edge of town, and they're like, that's just, that's just too much. You know, four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars—that's that's just too much. Maybe three ninety-five. <laughs> and you think, okay, so go to the future, and then look back, look back at yourself right now. It's like, has any grandchild ever said of any grandfather ever of any grandmother ever, I wish he hadn't acquired land? <laughs> has anybody ever stood up and said, man, my grandfather was a real idiot? He overpaid by at least fifteen thousand dollars. For this, like this, this move cost him fifteen k too much. I mean, he could have easily had a minivan for that money, but instead he landed this permanent thing. Uh, he invested in something permanent, and then generations will continue to benefit from that. Over and over again, we get hung up on these little things in the present moment. Like that's overpriced. That's overpriced. It's like, well, is it in the light of the future? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a crash and people go bankrupt by thinking that the economy will only ever go up, up and up and up and up. So they, they jump into duplexes in 2008 or something. Uh, there's, there's times when people are saying, yeah, I wish grandpa hadn't done that. That would have been, been nice if he had not been so stupid. Uh, but overwhelmingly, we are inclined to timidity. There are outliers who are inclined to over-aggressive investment and who overexpose their assets and crash and burn. But overwhelmingly, we think, oh, I, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to stay by the edge of the swimming pool. And I would tell you right now, it's like, well, this is, this is the time to run your hurry up offense. It's like there's a, moment, there's a moment of calm right now. This is relative calm. Make your moves. Do what you can do to try to be in the place you'd like to be in a couple of years, assuming things are going to go haywire even more than they are now. Do what you can to try to see the present from the future. An example of this from my my mom's dad. He told me uh, a story on the regular. He told me a number of times this particular story. And I wish I could remember all the details more clearly. But I'll give you an an impressionistic version. Uh, He was in Berlin after the war. And he was in Berlin as a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Air Force. Ben was, I don't remember exactly what he was responsible for, but he was in a lot of brassy meetings, you know, he's in there with the brass. When the Soviets started building the Berlin Wall, he was there when they started dropping posts and stringing barbed wire. And one of the reasons why he believed he was never promoted past that rank is because he threw a holy conniption fit uh, in those meetings that the US should bulldoze the wire now, knock it down now. If you don't knock it down now, tomorrow it'll be concrete. And then it will be tradition. And then it will be true jurisdiction. And we'll have this you know, like prison. like They're going to imprison half of this city. And if you, don't, if you just roll it over right now and say, yeah, no, we're not going to have barbed wire between the two halves of Berlin, uh, nothing bad can happen. They'll be a little bent out of shape, and that's fine. But we will fight now. Uh, don't wait till later. Never wait until later if you can see the trajectory. Do it now. Procrastination and conflict is an absolute destroyer. So if you are in a state of conflict and you're thinking, I'm going to procrastinate, like well, that's, a, that's really uh, dangerous, extremely dangerous. I'm going to procrastinate while they solidify their position. I'm going to procrastinate while they plan their next move. The person who is in a death match first is usually the winner. The people who realize it's an existential fight first and fight like it tend to be the winners. Overwhelmingly, the side that gets there, the side that gets to the full realization of the stakes earliest, wins. And the people who are talking to themselves into, like, well, it's not that bad. What's the worst that could happen? Like, the people who ease themselves into that place, tend to be very badly off uh, in not too long. It is embarrassing to me that the U.S. did not get into World War II earlier. It's embar- it is a shame, frankly, a national shame, that London was being bombed. Like, Planes are blowing up London, and we were still sitting on our hands. And we let Hitler get a, a, an enormous amount of momentum in Europe before we came in. And we waited until we were provoked into two theaters to do it and God was still kind. Like he was still kind to the US. He was not as kind to England. Like they were, like just, he wasn't. It was much, much harder for them as a result of our procrastination. The lesson my grandfather distilled from this that he told us all the time, and my dad recently referred to it on his blog, is never ever survive to the second crime scene. Like do not make it to the second crime scene. Fight to the death at the first crime scene. When they're not quite ready to, you throw down. Especially to my sisters, he was like, "Anybody ever tries to get you into a van, you fight till you're dead on the sidewalk. Nothing's going to go better for you in the basement. Like the second crime scene, you know, it's like wherever that guy is trying to take you, is not because you're safer there. Like you are, you are on much stronger ground and a much better chance of success if you elevate your aggression and your combat." to 11, all the way to 11 there on the sidewalk. Uh, And this applies politically. This applies to individual safety. This applies to families, churches, schools. It's like when the encroachment comes, when that first encroachment comes, the first time they try to come into your house, the first time uh, some overreach begins to happen, you have to be prepared to be unreasonable. You have to be prepared to be the unreasonable one optically. It's like, well, it really looks bad. They're really overreacting. This person's really overreacting. It's like, Well, you want that. You want the, the aggressor to think you're really overreacting. Like, that's the moment to be David drooling in his beard. You know, it's like, just be insane. Uh, I can't say this without a hat tip to our uh, former president also. I mean, it's all in the art of the deal. And, and people didn't quite realize how often he said radically insane things as his opening salvo. Like how often he would set that line in a totally crazy town place so that he could fall back to a reasonable, a reasonable position and people were just relieved. <laughs> like, oh, OK, we've we've fallen back. In your own lives, as you look at what you're going to do for your families, for yourselves, for your friends, for your community, you have to be thinking about aggression, not much time. You want to live boldly. You want to be taking risks and doing things where Two years out, you're like, man, I'm really glad I did that. As opposed to, I wish I'd moved sooner. I wish I'd made that move. I wish I'd made that investment. I wish I'd bought that thing. I wish I'd focused my efforts on this, that, or the other thing. And that, that thing that's been in the back of your head that you're thinking, like, oh, I'll get around to it. Sometime it would be nice if, like, well, move it to the front burner. Do what you can and do it now uh, because there's not a ton of time on the clock. None of us know how much. I think it'll be the midterms. It might not be. It might be four years out. It might be six years out. I don't know. But I know it's not getting more normal. Things are not going in a more normal direction. Recent past. Watch interviews with Obama and his position on gender and marriage and those kinds of things. And then look right now at what conservatives will say. And the conservatives now are more liberal than he was then. Know which way it's blowing. Know which way the zeitgeist is going. And dig in now. Find the position where you want to be and start working uh, with an eye on chaos. Like If things get more chaotic, which they will, we don't know how much more, but if they get more chaotic, what will you wish that you'd done? Like What will be the thing that you'd wish present you had done? Future you will wish what? Uh, Try to discern that, and then do what you can. Don't move to New York. (laughs) Things that are obvious like that. Uh, I'm gonna move to LA, take out a huge mortgage. Just, no, (laughs) just don't do that kind of thing. Uh, Try to discern from the future what moves you would wish of yourself now. It's It's not possible, but this is why you have imaginations, and this is why you studied history. Uh, You want to be as insightful and educated as you can be in your assessment of that. So the most permanent things, there's nothing permanent here, uh, but the most permanent things are the things I would encourage you to be in pursuit of. So land, financial security, friendships, family, community, that kind of thing. Uh, Those kinds of things that you'll be glad those, those things survive. On the other side of this, NSA will still exist. In some form. Right now, it's turning into sort of a, a bit of a safe haven, you know, where people are flocking, applications are wildly up. My niece, actually, Hero Merkel, I think was the 62nd freshman to confirm uh, for next year, which officially made her the record breaker. The biggest class had been 61 uh, before that. So they're, expect- they're expecting 100 freshmen, they're expecting more and more people to be coming. Uh, even if there is a crash nationally, that kind of thing only increases the influx of people here uh, in shelters and tide pools like this place and other towns like it. So do what you can to read the present and read it in the light of the past and try to really uh, you know, pour yourself a nice hot, hot drink and try to read it in the light of the future. Like try to see the future and try to see yourself right now from that position as you make your decisions on what to do next. Questions or thoughts on all this, yeah?
1: You told us to use our imaginations and put that's in a time capsule. So even if we don't know exactly
0: what's going to happen, you know, yeah. just go ahead and put something in. What, what you said you don't know, obviously, but what would you put in your time capsule? Uh, right now? Can you repeat the question, please? Yeah. So what would I put in my time capsule? I, you know, it's tough. There's a lot of different possibilities. Uh, so if you're talking about really specific predictions, Uh, I'm happy to make those, recreationally, uh, but how serious I am about them varies. So we're obviously kind of tipping on the brink of nationalized travel industry, uh, vaccine cards. uh, We are tipping on the brink of true fascism, and as in the dictionary definition of it, and not just the, the slanderous accusation of it because you happen to like America. Uh, but when, when private industry starts to be nationalized, uh, we had a really interesting thing happen this last election when traditionally, whenever there's a, uh, a commie revolution in a small country, one of the first things they do is they seize the radio stations and the TV stations. So you have to seize media. So some, uh, a, a couple Cuban brothers you know, it's like they, they seize the government building and then they seize radio and TV. Those, if you can get those two, you've won. What we just had was radio and TV, the equivalent, seize government. Instead of it going the other direction where people seize control of the government and then they seize control, we had tech, current communication, uh, choke off things that are verboden and stifle those things and reduce those things, disappear those things. It is funny to think that Canon Press has been heavily censored off of Amazon now. Uh, video content kicked off. You know, Facebook, NS, there's NSA ads that couldn't be boosted on Facebook. right? So like, OK, to think these are free highways, to think that this is a public utility when it's not. It is now a choke point where you have to show your papers. And you have to show your papers, which are vouchers of your, your correct thoughts you know, that you're on board with correct thinking. Uh, you can't believe certain things and say them out loud now and function in these different areas. You can't publish certain books on Amazon. Uh, and that's, that's where we are. So I think that increases. I think that doesn't go away. I think that's going to increase for a while. And it's going to ramp up and become very, very difficult uh, for us to function digitally. And we're going to be returning to physical media so I think physical media stuff that's harder to censor, magazines, uh, newspapers, stuff like that, are going to crop up in more conservative areas where you can't function. Uh, building independent servers is possible, and it's happening. But it's like trying to compete with the level of investment and infrastructure they have in the cloud now uh, is really, really difficult. So uh, I think physical media, nationalization of travel, you know, the airline industry things like that uh, are coming. And I think there's gonna be significant encroachment into schools. So I think Logos will be having difficulty playing, like even participating uh, at, a, at a state level or uh, playing against other you know, government schools in competition. So I think that kind of thing will be shutting down and I think there will be ghettos created. So we will have conservative ghettos kind of all around uh, that's standard, that's historically speaking, that's what happens. So you have little Christian leagues, little you know, Christian communities where real things are happening and, and people are commu- you know, competing against each other but they're not competing against others and the walls, the Berlin Walls everywhere are gonna go up and get set down uh, pretty quickly. So I think we'll be playing inside smaller ecosystems and we'll be trying to build ways to bypass uh, the guards, on, you know, to communicate in between those ecosystems. So that's a that's a big part of it, I think. Yeah.
1: a yeah, Question on Zoom here, uh, I'm asking about the implications for this for like local churches uh, with the possibility of people in churches, I mean, losing jobs for various reasons. You know, how to think
0: through that as a church community? So what we have is. We've built a more remote economy, right? So the question is, uh, think through this for local churches and people losing jobs in local churches. That's what I mean by the the enclosed ghettos. Like the economy is gonna become more localized. So we've gone from a place of nobody can get together because they're stuck with their jobs in different cities around the country to everybody can get together because everybody can work remote to it doesn't matter if you're in an extremely rural town, you are now uh, accountable to whatever HR department of that giant corporation, uh, whatever that department says about you, whether you're working in your little rural town or not. So a lot of these people who've been working remotely or starting to work remotely, I think are gonna lose their jobs, already have. Uh, we have two in our church who were working for Amazon and are no longer, you know, and it's, all re- it's related to that. So that kind of thing is going to happen. It's going to happen more and more, and those local economies are going to, are going to have to become pretty independent, so, which is really difficult to do. So trying to have an intact uh, economy, that, you know ground-up economy that's self-enclosed, is very, very difficult. But it's how you lay siege to towns. It's like you cut them off from supplies, you cut them off from resources, and then they buckle. You know, they cave. So I think we will be one of many, many little communities that are kind of bunkered down, uh, who would like to just do what we want to do, and will be allowed to, as long as we withdraw our roots and tendrils from all these different corporations, uh, and and the national economy. So, I think it is gonna happen, and it's gonna be difficult, and how we actually survive economically remains to be seen, yeah. Yeah. Yep
1: I mean, everything you think of, like all the hardware like, yep. society. Um, you can't do that in a couple of years. That, that takes
0: a long, right. long time. Yeah, it really so, does. And, and uh, it takes a long time, but if you think about yes. any encroachment of rights that you're fine with because it's an opponent is always dangerous to you. One of the reasons why we should be all about free speech uh, when it is free speech that is hateful of us like free speech that is an expression of how much people hate us is something we should tolerate because if we and, and accept and support and defend, because if we don't, uh, once you decide to, to pinch off that hose and not let people talk, uh, then it's just a question of who's in charge of which people. <laughs> and you know that, uh, that will turn. It will turn, which it has turned. So a lot of people of more conservative uh, libertarian leaning Fools, I'll say, have thought like, yeah, well, Facebook's a private company, or Twitter's a private company, so they can do this. You know, they can they can do those things. That should worry us a lot. So when somebody a year ago or so, or you know, some kook was getting kicked off of Facebook or off of Twitter uh, for just being a moron, mm-hmm. uh, we should have been nervous then. Mm-hmm. Like that would that should have made us nervous. The next step is. If Twitter can ban speech, if these major tech companies that do receive government subsidies and so on, protections, uh, can do that, so can you know, your phone carrier. Like, they can run AI screens of your conversation. If you start saying something that is against the rules, then they can just drop your call. Uh, that call can be dropped. Uh, we already have, I've had, like, years ago, Uh, Pre-Trump, I had a meeting with a guy in L.A. who, before we could have the meeting, he asked for our cell phones and we had to power them off and set them in a shoebox in a closet in a room the other side of the house because he was involved in a case against Obama's Justice Department and his microphones were on at all times. So everything's being listened to. Uh, I have friends and family in law enforcement where in some investigation, they can go look out of the lens of any phone at any time. Uh, they can look out the lens, they can listen to the mic. They, you know, it's like most of the time it's pocket lint you know, that they're looking at, but they have that ability. And they've slowly been transitioning the law so that uh, the, the differentiation now is you can't use it in court, but not that you can't do it. So like, oh, I can't use that until I get a warrant uh, I can't use that in court that way, but I can go ahead and observe. So it's it's there, and because it was pioneered under the Patriot Act and national security, and then used by homicide detectives to you know listen in on all the phones of Hells Angels, everybody was okay. It's like, well, it's you know it's terrorists, and we don't like them. And, you know, it's like, a, but we're gonna we're gonna get here. We're gonna acclimate ourselves to the fact that that we're just. Invading the privacy of Muslims or we're just invading the privacy of hell's angels or gangsters or whatever that should have freaked us out like we should we should have really like defended the rights uh, of You know members of mosques and so on to not just have their phones being listened to all the time uh, in a warrantless way so it's uh, all of you at this point should have had I'm guessing a targeted ad appear on Instagram after a conversation where you've had a conversation with somebody with your phone in your pocket, and then magically, there's that targeted advertisement that shows up in your social media. It's like, yes, it's listening. Of course it's listening. And if it does that, if it's doing that, if you've invited all the, surveil- you've invited all the surveillance into your home, then it can start to uh, enforce policies of speech uh, and so on, or take it away, take away that privilege. So if we, de- we create a dependency on tech we have to be able to survive without it, so I think there will be ways in which we all look like Luddites uh, pretty soon. Um, that's one of the things I would put in my little time capsule: is that we'll be we'll be moving away from phones and other things. Although, you know, comes Elon Musk with his space internet, so who really knows? Um, and I knew that was coming for a while, but you know, it's pretty funny. We're just kind of like, all right. Uh, somebody's going to have to shoot out the satellites in order to, it's just doable, in order to stifle that. But that will be interesting. They, they still can choke servers. They still can do lots of other things. Um, but expect to be living in a a more a far more Luddite community if you're here uh, over the next few years.
1: Another uh, Zoom question. Um, uh, asking about state lines. Uh, you know, People obviously are lucky to live in Moscow, but uh, it seems like state lines are... are Defending certain freedoms
0: and stuff. Some states will collapse faster than others, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? I mean, it just depends on the states and the neighboring states and how close they are, how similar they are. So I don't expect the Idaho-Montana border to matter much. Um, Idaho and you know some of those the, the west, the more western, central western states like. Okay. Utah, Wyoming, there's a big cluster through the middle. I think well, things will be very similar. But where we border Washington, uh, and I mean, I think, I think it's going to make a dramatic, it's going to be more and more dramatic um, in its distinction. So we've seen that with COVID protocols, but we'll see that with vaccination papers, and we'll see that with uh, school participation and lots of other things. Um, it is really strange and disturbing to watch things collapse that we're used to. Uh, Things like the Olympics, you know. But it's funny how all these little idols, all these little things that we're very fond of, we like to think of them as permanent. Things we might really like, and it's totally fine to like. It's amazing to watch them just crumble. And so the Olympics being one of them. Uh, The NBA being another one. was like ratings are just, you know, just down, 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 down. Texas. Has anybody ever idolized Texas? Oh, yes. Many many people have idolized Texas and Texas just got pantsed in front of the whole world. Just like by a blizzard. Like That's embarrassing. That's really really embarrassing. Like Texas just got humiliated and Abbott is like back trying to prove his machismo. I was like oh, enough of the shutdown that I have imposed on everybody. Thank like, yeah, now we don't care, now we're big risk takers again, we Texans, after having built an independent grid, which completely failed. So, <laughs> sorry about that, but at least you can take your mask off. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bizarre. So Texas got popped, the NCAA has been popped, it's like all these different things. Public schools, like, I mean, try to come up with some kind of hat trick, uh, you know, some, some kind of weird trick shot that is, has is caused them to shut down nationwide. Uh, and then and there it was. The same thing that took out the Olympics. Uh, apparently, God had a real problem with the Walt Disney Company as well. I don't know. <laughs> Live sports and ESPN, cruises, theme parks, <laughs> tentpole movies. So the same thing that like billion dollar movie franchises and then all the theme park cruise stuff. Like they, their diversification was their power. Like they were so strong and so big, they could eat Fox for seventy-four billion dollars and just kind of pull it in. And then suddenly it was just, (laughs) you know, just down. They'll rebound. They're gonna. They're rebuilding. They're smart and they're building stuff up. Stuff will come back, but it's gonna come back like a forest after a forest fire. It's not just gonna come back (laughs) right away. Yeah.
1: In terms of like you mentioned, vaccine vaccination papers a couple of times. Yeah. If that happens. One, how do you, again, predicting for fun, predicting recreationally, what do you think that might look like? And then if it does, because... Well, it, you, it
0: already looks this way. You already have to... Did you repeat the question also? She's asking well, about vaccines and what I'm, it would I'm look asking, like.
1: the full question would be, so when masks came, it was like, for, for a lot of people, they were scrambling to know what play they're in. Like, they hadn't yeah. thought about this. Some people were like, well, I'm not wearing it. Other people come to it and then realize they should resist. Others didn't resist at all. So, like, what should our approach be to vaccines if it becomes an issue where, like, you can't fly without one? Or, you know, can you kind of run
0: that play a little bit? Uh, it's going to be so that the question is big and wandering. <laughs> yes, um, so I can't really restate it. But the question is basically what to do about vaccines being required to travel. If, if, they if you want to travel, free. get the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's going to be. So Or don't travel if you don't want to get it. Uh, but the thing—the thing with masks is interesting because, if you really, uh, if you really believe that masks were important, they were really important to the health of the whole population. You even from that position should still see the danger in the government mandating them. Uh, I mean, it's just—you should see how wrong this could go. So even if the government is right and correct where masks have been mandated you have to know that you just open the door to the next time when they're wrong. It's Like some people think that this is required for the good health of everybody. Uh, and yet as soon as you do this, as soon as you start letting the government make those decisions, those health decisions for us individually, then it's really problematic really quickly. So I actually think the efficacy of masks has been a big distraction. And it's, not, it's kind of like when people fight about what art is. I think it's kind of pointless. You shouldn't, like, there's no reason to argue about whether this is or is not art. The question is whether it is or is not beautiful, right? Uh, You get into that. And so the question is not whether masks are or are not effective. The question is whether or not the government should have the authority to regulate healthy people for the prevention of disease. And that is, a, that is a huge governmental step. And so if they're doing it correctly or doing it incorrectly is kind of a moot point to me. The question is whether or not they're doing it at all. Uh, and there are times, and there is precedent for it, with, with uh, smallpox and other things that are like truly lethal. There's, there's places where you can't come to school if you don't have a vaccination. And I think that makes sense. Um, but finding the line of case law is, is new. This is a new thing for us. And so I would love for us to be cautious and thoughtful and work it out in the courts to find the actual boundary of the jurisdiction of the government for when and which level of government uh, for when they can impose preventative health measures on healthy people. That's a very interesting legal issue. And so I think a lot of people have gotten sucked into masks don't work or masks are really important or you go outside without one, you're murdering people or love your neighbor, just wear one, because they're the weaker brother, whatever. All of that is kind of moot to me. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in uh, government regulation of preventative health measures, period, full stop, whether they work or don't. So can the government make it illegal for me to smoke? It's like, well, they have in different little areas in public spaces. But that's because of you know the, the impact and other things. Uh, but if they do make it illegal to smoke, I'll be smoking you know, tomorrow. And it's it, with the full knowledge that it's unhealthy, you know, that this is bad for me. Um, so that's, it's that kind of a discussion. And I think vaccines are that, are that type of discussion. There could be really, really effective vaccines that are, are a great blessing and will save a lot of lives. But the question is, how are they imposed? How are they enforced? Are they mandated on a global level? He was like, what is, what is actually going on? What kind of governmental encroachment's happening? Who has the authority to mandate these things? Who the hell is Dr. Fauci? And why is he making so much money? Um, these are reasonable, reasonable questions. Who benefits from them and, and so on? So anyway, to add, I, I think the governmental issues are more interesting than the science. And the science is less important than the governmental issues. So if the science is right, that it's unhealthy for you to eat cornflakes every morning, and that you're more likely to get cancer uh, if you decide to do that. And they then mandate that you stick a little surgeon general's warning on it, and the government says, no, actually, we're just going to make it illegal for you to eat cornflakes. Like It's now against the law for you. It's like, well, that would be something that you should have a problem with. Um, anyway, there's, there's it's a simplistic discussion of it. There's a lot of fine legal. Uh, distinctions have to be made. Case law, jurisdictions, things like that. Traditionally, governments have had the ability to quarantine the sick, and if this is actually in, in the Idaho Constitution and other places. You can quarantine the sick, or you can quarantine areas that of outbreaks. So if there is, you can deal with the whole town. So if Leyta had had a big outbreak, the governor could have locked down Leyta. Nobody in Leyta is allowed to leave. That's incidentally what uh, China did with Wuhan, um, although they allowed international flights to continue. So nobody in China was allowed in or out of Wuhan, but internationals were free to fly in and out. Um, Almost like there was a plan, but... (laughs) Anyway, that would be a conspiracy theory, so I won't won't get into that. Uh, But I think I at least discussed your question if I didn't answer it. Uh, the governmental issues would have to be di- is would have to be discerned and established uh, before any medical ones are discussed. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like this uh, problem of invasive governmental regulation can be dealt with through the democratic process?
0: Or activism? I think it's it's more likely to be dealt with. So that to restate the question, uh, can the government government overreach be dealt with through the democratic process? I think no. I think. Uh, it will be dealt with through overween- what always happens with overweening pride. I think it's dealt with through an explosion. When you overinflate the balloon, it pops. And then you don't have the infrastructure, and people are left kind of building up their communities again, and they're having to do it without oversight. So when you just don't have the infrastructure in place, when it kind of when it goes kablooey, uh, I think that that's how it's dealt with, as opposed to people voting it out. Um, so if we make ourselves a little, you know, hang glider kit that we, that we bought off of Alibaba and we decide to jump off the roof of a barn, um, about halfway down we could say, do you think we could vote to not do this? It's like, well, we could have, but we didn't. And so now it will be addressed. Uh, it is going to be dealt with, but it's going to be dealt with through the the natural ramifications, the consequences of having done the things we've done. Uh, So the economic consequences are real. We actually tank. We're not going to be able to just say, OK, restaurants, reopen, because there's going to be a bunch of carcasses, just a whole bunch of emptiness. And you can't just get the economy to bounce back that quickly after this level of uh, crash. So it will bounce back. Things will climb back. Uh, People still want to make money. People are still clever. They're still going to find ways. Uh, But I don't think we can vote to change. Uh, Especially because we did, and it's on the documents. Like, the encroachment is contrary to the currently democratically elected and approved laws. So those laws are being ignored. uh, And we can't vote that they not be ignored. So, uh, and even here, Uh, In our town, there were people who wanted to have a referendum on the emergency order. And so they went through the the legal process and they got the form and they filled out the form and they went to get the petition. They had to go get a ton of signatures in order to have a referendum. So they might not have succeeded. And if they had succeeded, I think we would have ended up with a democratically uh, supported mask order. So I think most people would have voted for it. I I don't think it would have ended the mask order. I think it just would have become a democratically passed mask order. But still, city staff just refused to give them the petitions. So just wouldn't give them the the signature forms. So they could never go collect the signatures to turn it in to even have the referendum, because an unelected person says no. Um, And that kind of thing doesn't get dealt with with other elections. It's like when people are controlling the existence of an election. You may not even have a vote about this. Uh, you can't say, well, let's have a different one about whether or not you're allowed to do that. Uh, it, won't, it won't happen. So I think the crash and burn has to come in order to reset. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, so outside of Yeah. So outside of real estate investment, how else would I be preparing? Um, it's about trying to find independence. I mean, this is I'm, this is advice I'm trying to take. It's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm ready. And I'm not. Uh, I find being a prepper is attractive to me, but more so recreationally than with any kind of sobriety. Um, so it sounds fun. But I actually have been thinking through seriously, like, okay, I'm, I'm building a house, I'm finishing a house. Like, I have to solve this generator problem, and I have to have a generator system, and I have to know what my fuel is, and I have to have a fuel source. Uh, you know, it's like, those are the things I'm thinking through. So, how do I keep the lights on? How do I keep the house warm? Uh, kind of basic stuff. The, the good news is, you know, you can buy a cow for not that much money. Although it might, they might have gotten more expensive. They were super cheap there for a while uh, because all the meat processing plants closed. And so there's this huge swell of uh, beef still on the hoof that was for sale. Super, super cheap. But then now the food prices are coming. you know, It's like all, all the gouging's coming because nobody processed the meat for a long time. And so the supply is short. And you know, like there's a lot of things out of whack. So having the ability you know, to have food sources that are stable and anti-fragile, to have power sources that are stable and anti-fragile, um, and be thinking through those things for yourself. You've got young kids. OK, well, how am I going to keep them? Worst case scenario, how do I keep them fed? And how do I keep them warm? I mean, you start with the super basic stuff, and then you worry about the college fund later. So that trouble will keep if you have really young kids. How
1: about one more question? I look back to myself in high school, I thought the the new atheists were gonna be a, a lot bigger problem
0: <laughs> I didn't realize. You weren't was, a prophet.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize it was gonna be
0: Karen's, you know, white <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, well, the question is how to distinguish friend from foe. And uh, it's amusing to think of who the foes actually are. You know, like, yeah, it was going to be Sam Harris, right? Sam Harris was the big problem. It's like, Nope, <laughs> uh, not, not at all. I'm glad that he wasn't, although I wish Christopher Hitchens was around right now, because I would love to hear his thoughts on uh, what we've currently lived through. I think it would be very similar to his brother, uh, I think. <laughs> I think Peter Hitchens and Christopher Hitchens would be behaving in much the same way. Um, so how to, how to distinguish friend from foe? I would say these are the things that are, that are going to shake out. What you need to do is eliminate, this is always the case, eliminate prejudice and, and prejudgment. So you want to just take your assumptions and your assumptions about people and just throw them away. Um, we all develop them. It's like shorthand. And it's it's you know nice and trendy to say like throw away your prejudices, right? Well, but you the actual prejudices because you're going to find friends in unexpected places and you're going to find foes in unexpected places. Uh, in these moments, this is a moment of sifting. It's a it's a moment of threshing grain, and a lot of people that you thought were courageous are going to turn out to not be, and people that you never would have bet would be courageous are going to stand up, and you watch that kind of shake out. So it's just be prepared to accept the judgments that God passes on friend or foe rather than your own predeterminations. So I think the best thing is to try to unload your assumptions about people uh, and then just be able to adapt and react quickly to the moment when you 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 see where they they land. Uh, We've had a number of very strange conversations with people that I would have assumed would have lined up on the other side. And that have not uh, there's a lot of support for NSA from unexpected quarters and there are people who uh, should be very very supportive who are not you know it's like they will withdraw their support there's people who are just deeply con- the David French's of the world people who are deeply concerned with being seen as a raw, rah partisan and so they will betray anybody they have to to prove that they're not partisan uh, and you just can't don't you know don't rely on those people at all. anybody who knows what they think based on which team they're on is a problem. so I'm on this team. what do we think <laughs> means that they're they they do not have your back they're like they're not a real friend um, at all so any kind of predetermination is going to be tough. A lot of conservatives did stand up and they did like true conservatives were upset about the Patriot Act they were upset about the treatment of uh just Muslims for being Muslim, right? Uh, But at the same time, uh, other people are throwing the baby out of the bathwater the other direction and saying you can't even, you know, if there's a suspect out or if there's a bombing, we really can't assume it was a Muslim, you know? And then cops were kind of had their hands tied in the investigation and other things. That's that's random as well, and that's just a, a mistake. So currently, do not be surprised at all to have many, many, like be braced for many surprises, I should say. Be, be braced for surprises of who are going to be allies and who are going to be uh, Edmonds. Like who are the people who are going to be on the other team. Some of them will be friends, and some of them will surprise you, and then a bunch of people that you had assumed you had nothing in common with will turn out to be your, uh, your besties when you need to swap chickens. Great, thank
1: you. Which
0: I really hope we don't have to, because I hate chickens. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. For more information about New St. Andrews College, head to NSA.edu.